Hey there, podcast listeners. Man, has it been a minute. This episode of Spy Fi After Dark was actually recorded a while ago before the quarantine started. And retroactively, we're going to make it the finale of season two. The reality is it just took me a long time to make the time to edit this and get this out there. But just as this crisis has a lot of people thinking about their lives, it has me thinking about what I want to do with SpyFi After Dark and the SpyFi YouTube channel. And so season three of the podcast will be coming shortly. If you want to hear about it, you can follow me on Twitter at MillenTweets or on Instagram at MillenGrams. Or you can email SpyFiOfficial at gmail.com and I'll send you a personalized reminder if that's what you'd like. Season three is going to have some changes. The first one is the episodes are going to be an hour long instead of an hour and a half to an hour and 45 that they've typically been in season one or two. The second thing is most of the episodes will probably just be me and Alex because we have a lot of conversations we could have and by keeping it simpler, it makes it easier on me so we can get episodes out faster and more consistently. Oh, and they will all have video and it will be on YouTube first. So if you check out this podcast on YouTube, this intro is actually going to be in video as well. And yeah, I mean, we're excited to bring season three of Spy Fire After Dark to you. I think this new vision is going to be a good podcast. I think it, actually, I think it'll be a better podcast and it certainly will be easier to produce. Otherwise, I'm also trying to reboot the whole vlog idea. Again, taking a simpler approach. If you'd like to check that out, you can go on YouTube and search SpyFi to find the channel. And if you do, please subscribe to the channel. I need 100 subscribers to actually clean youtube.com slash SpyFi. So I can just tell you, you can go to youtube.com slash SpyFi instead of telling you you have to search for it. Uh, that would mean a lot to me and I really appreciate it. Anyways, that is enough for me. On to this episode, again, the last episode of season two, and stay tuned for season three's announcement. It's coming soon. What's that one movie that... Arrival. <laughs> I was ready for that one. I know you were, and I knew you were too. fucking like four page essay and I like I had a problem with one aspect about our motor lives we were we were at the El Conch uh, Los Conchas yeah that was a cool place yeah sorry okay we were okay so we were at Rocky Point bachelor thing hold on hold on let's just we'll, we'll start with this yeah <laughs> You're listening to the SpyFi After Dark podcast. And welcome back to SpyFi After Dark. I'm here with my co-host as always. What's going on? This is Alex. And our guest today. Ross. This is uh, Ross Brown. And uh, this is going to be a wide ranging conversation. It always is with Ross. Uh, we are also a trio from ASU. That's where we all met. Ping pong trio. Yeah, that's true, except I don't think Ross really plays anymore. Oh. <laughs> and the shade hath begun. Yeah. <laughs> Did he ever play? <laughs> Even though he's beaten me multiple times. <laughs> Good thing he didn't bring sunglasses. <laughs> quick, yeah. quick note, everything I do is about a semester and a half too late. Because Smash and Ping Pong I got really good at, but like after I had people to do it with. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's true. I agree with him. Like, I would like always miss the timing to like really engage with Ross with like anything. Kind of sucked. Um, for the audience too, Ross is uh, two years younger, so he graduated a little after after I did, and Millen's even younger than that. But we all hung out in a um, in Barrett just because of a local coffee shop. Is how everything started. Actually, that's not true. Ross became um, a part of my life when he randomly walked up to me as a stranger and showed me a Skrillex music video. I thought it was topical. <laughs> it was at the time. <laughs> I was all about that dubstep, and that's how we became friends. Wow. I'm like, this guy's got some gonas. He's got some beats. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, <laughs> some beats. <laughs> but Ross and I, I mean, uh, we've had you know, our share of laughs and fun as any, like as any college friend friends would have with each other. But we've also like really taken like deep dives into what I think are like substantial, meaningful conversations. Okay. So what's this thing with arrival and what is arrival? I know the name. So I haven't I seen it. Uh, Ross, you're going to have to give us. So arrival is a sci-fi film that came out a couple of years ago with, uh, Oh, it's someone with the sparkly wall, right? You think sparkly wall. Like and the, the white director wall. of Ex Machina? E, no. No? I wonder what you're thinking. Um, but similar time, similar vibe, sort of. Um, oh, you're thinking about with the one with Natalie Portman? I think so. Okay, so Arrival Annihilation? Out, Annihilation. Annihilation. Yeah. Uh, same, you know, A. So Arrival, though, uh, was with the actress who did, who was Lois Lane in the new Superman movies and Jeremy Renner. Um, essentially... It's kind of an exploration of what happens when aliens just show up and they're not like obviously aggressive or anything. So it's like, how does, how does the world react and how does they try and communicate? I recognize the poster. Yes. And without giving too much away, like in the theater, there was a few hints at it in my perception. And then there was a scene that was like, this is, absolutely without a doubt an alien movie that is one of the best Christian allegories of all time. And I've said that I've had pushback on it and I'm still pretty confident, pretty confident in that. And I've read the source material. It was a a short story from this awesome, um, actually call it speculative fiction because it focuses less on, like a Star Wars, like I've got this gadget. It's more kind of like Black Mirror where there's a piece of critical difference from this world and they explore the impact that that difference has. Um, So he really explores a concept and what that does to human nature and all that stuff. Um, Well, it is a profitable movie, apparently. It got, I think... not, Not by a wide margin, but profitable. Yeah, well, in... The sound editing, I think, is what it won its Oscar for, and it was incredible, amongst the other things. Was it intentionally Oscar bait, or did it just become that? Um, well, the lineup's pretty good, right? Yeah, I mean, actors. Like Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, Forrest Whitaker, yeah. So there you go. And I the mean, guy who directed it directed Sicario and Blade Runner 2049. Um, no, that doesn't... Well, Sicario was no, good. No, Sicario was Sicario was good. I yeah. love Blade Runner. I haven't seen it, by I, the way. Um, Do you like the original? I haven't seen the original. Interesting. Okay, 
but the the new one was um, nothing was happening. Oh, you should watch the original. The original is does something actually happen? No, no, no. It's one of the slowest movies I've ever seen. Yeah, so I just hate it. Honestly. I could probably beat you with that. Huh? Alien? Uh, yeah, it's been a while. I haven't seen all of the original Blade Runner, and I have not seen any of the new one. Sicario was good. Um, I didn't. Sicario was not a slow movie. Yeah, I don't think so. Mm-mm. They take some long, like there, Western style there might be shots some, into some, scenes. Right. Yeah, but I, it didn't feel like a slow movie to me. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So continue with Arrival. So yeah. it sounds like it resonated with you for multiple reasons. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, do we want to do spoilers for this? Yeah, I'm done. It's an okay. old enough movie. Yeah, it's 2016? old. 2016? Yeah. 2017? 2016? Um, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Well, spoiler alert. Um, essentially, what the aliens come down to do is okay. At the very end of the movie, they it is revealed that they can see time um in its non-linear fashion. So they have um future seeing capabilities. Okay. They're fourth dimensional creatures. I don't know what that definition exactly would be. The fourth dimension being time. Like they can navigate it like we navigate space? At least cognitively. Okay. Um, They do kind of evaporate, which might lend itself to that theory as well. But um, it's it's clear that they're highly advanced and they have a shared sort of collect. I don't know if it's collective conscience, but it's a understanding of time from the future as, as closely as they do the present in the past. And one of the liberties that the story takes is the concept that when you learn a language, you start to think in that language, which is like nominally true just because, you know, you dream in Spanish if you've taken Spanish for a couple of years and like you might, it it happens. But there Mm -hmm. are implications that like when you learn a language, you will also, (sighs) the way you think and the mechanisms for deriving thought are going to be changed because that language is inherently different than another language. Yes. So you're going to think a little differently too, but nominally, yeah, like Spanish is not English and like, yeah. But, and you could maybe say that certain cultures are the way they are, or at least it's reflective in the language. There's, there's like a, yeah, there's like a feedback loop and like, I agree with that. Yeah. And like, yeah, like certain cultures have, the perfect term for certain feelings in which yeah. English does not. Yeah. And like Greeks, you know, the commercial that just came out for the Super Bowl, the four types of love or whatever. Like as English speakers, we conflate love with so many things and the Greeks had different types. Different types. And mm-hmm. I think that might reflect itself differently in that culture. Um, so they, they really take liberties with that and say that if um, you can learn this language of theirs in its written form, which is essentially a, a circle with a whole bunch of, like it's a Rorschach test, but in a ring. And so if you can read that without any beginning or end and write that all at once, the thing that they say is, this is going way too far in the movie, but she learns how to see the future to some extent. So you're looking at time spatially versus yes. linearly. Yes. Because she learns the language of the aliens. Yes. Um, and the book... And the movie 
And to be clear for the audience, the main character is like a renowned linguist. Yes. Oh, cool. That's her thing. Oh, she I knows see. like okay. 12 languages. Yes, that's, oh, why, cool. that's why she's in this scenario. Um, the book is a lot more straightforward with what happens. Um, her daughter dies. And the movie actually takes place before her daughter is born. But you, they don't tell you that till like the, basically the very end. So you think that... Oh, wait, sorry you think the story takes place after she's already dead. It actually takes place before she's even born. And you're kind of throughout the movie, seeing her visions of the future, thinking that they're actually in the past. Um, so essentially the moral decision that she's faced with at the very end is she knows her daughter is going to die at a young age. Does she still have her daughter? Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of cheesy, like the whole like, Oh, all the pain is, not as much as the joy, but I think it really does do a good job of showing like the deep truth in that. I do. I do like, I do like things like that. I mean, just to bring up something a little tangential. Mm -hmm. Um, have you guys seen Watchmen? No, no. Oh, the movie. Yes. But yeah, I haven't read the, the novel, but like the movie captures something kind of similar to what you're talking about from arrivals. So, um, in Watchmen, you have a situation that is seemingly slightly different than historical truth as we know, um, but it makes like a crazy difference. And so their f the future in that universe is very, very different than ours. Okay, but by the way, that difference is one, uh, a different turnout for Nixon's presidency, and then two, the creation of Dr. Manhattan's character. Now, there's like a different political climate in the movie and like that has its own significance. But on that note with the daughter thing in arrival, Dr. Manhattan is a human that went God. So he incidentally created himself into essentially this being that can control like the molecular structure of everything around him, including himself. Mm -hmm. um, and he's seemingly immortal. Yeah. Because covered of that. in LED lights. Right. Uh, he had blue penis and everything. But uh, what's more important is he doesn't have like omnipotence. It seems that way, like in his own circle of, you know, in the in, like in the moment at any like in any moment where he's there, he can do a lot. Right. But it's not he can do a lot everywhere at once. But he does seem to have like omniscience um, in his circle of influence across those people's like timelines including his own. So he like knows his beginning and end and he knows like a vast majority of people's beginnings and end. And so because of this, he essentially it's implied it's not stated in the movie, but he essentially doesn't have free will and he's an apathetic God that has no control because he's a slave to time. And like people want him to do things and he can't and he actually can't make any change. Everything's already been done. So it's like a self actuating at like apathy because nothing matters to him. And on top of it, his own life doesn't matter because he's omniscient because he knows the timeline. It makes sense. You mm -hmm. actually, you actually have no free will in that situation. So he just like wanders and has like no true agency in the movie, even though he has everything. And then like the counter to him is a human with full of will, full of like passion, full of agency. Um, and is just human. And you have like that crazy fucking like dichotomy between the two. It's not really that like relevant, but like that just reminded me of 
which kind of reminded me of like Bulk. Well, and I, th- I think that these, you know, archetypes of God or whatever and omniscience and like it's, there's a reason it's, it's relevant because it's like, you know, kind of in the culture. Right. Um, but I think that, um, that the mechanics of that actually work out differently in a traditionally, uh, sort of Christian God rather Mm -hmm. than, um, someone who is, you know, linked to a, a certain fixed place in time, um, like Dr. Manhattan or, even uh, the character in Arrival, and that's kind of the difference there. Um, but yeah, so Arrival, I just there's a lot of other imagery in there, and I think it makes a pretty solid case, especially the stuff that's included in the movie that's not included in the book. It almost feels like he went an extra step to make it a little bit more compatible with my theory, more even more allegorical. Yeah, and it, but like it's, he still could have done it without meaning to, because like the things that he adds are like the thing that would make it more interesting. But I think that that really just helps my case a lot more in terms of, you know, typical Christian tropes like sacrifice and, um, well, yes, yeah, sacrifice. You have to be careful. And this is coming from ignorance, not like I'm. I know a lot about this, but you have to be careful when it comes to like confirmation bias with religious tropes, because a lot of it's religious everywhere. tropes are not just everywhere; they're integrated with all religions, including including occultic tropes. Okay. So, and there's a lot of occultic, and there's even like a sector of occultic tropes that are pervasive towards Abrahamic religions. So, sorry for going there, but no, like you'll see that a lot of that in movies too. I'm just. What I'll say, and you know me, I'm, I'm unoffendable as far as this goes. Um, but it's hard to talk about cults and not talk about any religion at all. Because the definition of cult fits every religion. It's just, is it a helpful cult or is it a non-helpful cult? Um, so to be clear, what is your case about the movie? Oh, it's just a Christian allegory. Okay. And it actually, why I loved it so much is though it, because it, it kind of did, I was l- ramping up to a turning point in my belief system. And that belief system extends to political system, outlook on society, on my personal life, like all that. And there was a realization I had when I saw that movie about how to kind of think in a certain way um, about the world. That's more of a statement, not, Got it. not an argument. That's pretty but, interesting. Yeah. So it must be a very meaningful movie to you in terms of your movie history. Absolutely. Yeah. School of Rock, number one. <laughs> that's, um, a phenom- that's honestly a phenomenal a movie. movie. And I would, yeah. Honestly, I became closer with Ross when he told me that. Like, this, you're tacky and I hate you. It's my, it's my <laughs> dude. Right? Yeah, it's my dude. Right? He's got some taste. All right, all right. Yeah, School of Rock and then like Arrival and then like Logan. V for Vendetta. Oh, damn. I don't know why I like that movie. I just, yeah. The... Uh, it's interesting the movies that like really affect us. I that's a good topic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's um it's very very interesting and like um there are there are certainly like a set of movies in the past however many years that have like universally impacted the majority of people. 
I say universally majority because like a lot of people have been impacted by like a what do you few put on that list? Dark Knight, Ex Machina. Not well, not no. a lot of people. You can't say Ex Machina because Ex Machina is more of a pre- precision impact. Didn't hit it. So yeah. it's like who it's, watches it's it? It's more you, of a cruise missile than it is of a nuclear well, missile. It's like it's like this is a high precision movie. Like you watch it, you will be impacted. But like Dark Knight, like everyone's seen it. Mm-hmm. And I'd like, say Inception did that a little Inception bit. Inception too. Inception ruined Matrix. Doctor Strange. <laughs> oh, Matrix. Yeah. The Matrix, absolutely. Matrix, Matrix yeah. up there too. The Matrix is probably the most... I feel um, like it's probably the most universally like, life-view-altering movie. I also think Matrix is is a grandfather to a lot of themes that are like overdone now. Yeah. And um, sure. whatever its source material was wasn't ripped off at all. <laughs> The Wachowski, you heard the, what is it, Ghost in the Shell? The show. Supposedly, I haven't seen it. The Matrix, and I didn't see the the movie that came out, but I think Ghost in the Shell was supposed to be the spiritual successor to The Matrix that the Wachowskis kind of thematically and visually ripped off a little bit. I didn't know that. Uh, I'm okay with it. Female protagonist, right? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah, Matrix is phenomenal. It's a great movie. Dark Knight. I mean, I've never seen so so many of our youth heavily impacted by something. I think uh, Endgame probably raised the nerd IQ of the collective population <laughs> with like because it basically forced you to try and make sense of a time loop. Um, and I don't. That being said, it's not a time loop. Huh? It's not. It's not time. I never thought it, about it like that, but I guess Inception. I get it. I think Inception is Inception and the Matrix to me are the two that really stand out. I actually out. part of my um what I was thinking about today had to do with Inception. Um in terms of time and eternity and characteristics of a god if it exists, right? Um specifically you know those people that uh have just they remember completely everything in their life. They have every single moment of their life. Mm-hmm. Like Total Recall. Well, that's a not the movie. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, y'all. Not the movie. Um, I think that's like the term. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about that, and then Inception, how Leo and his wife spend like fifty something years or in the dream world, and they they actually with the um, the crime lord or whatever that sponsors their exhibition, they show him like 80 years older than he is. And so they, they imply that your mental perception um, actually adds to your age and that Leo and his wife were actually much older in a, a mental spiritual sense than their physical age. And I'm thinking the way that the, the only reason that is, is because of how they perceive time. They, they experienced more time. And I'm wondering if these people that have perfect recall, like part of being human is filtering out a lot mm-hmm. of your experiences. Mm-hmm. And if they can't do that, they must have some just Does outrageous. Does it make them older is what you're saying? Well, it, it must completely change their, per- I mean, it's self-evident that their perception of time is different, but like you know, Logan struggles with being 150 years old and like he's ready to die. Different, like, different life is like what you're getting at. When you're 20 years old, you've been and you remember everything, assuming you remember what you dream about too. Mm-hmm. You're 20 years old. 
And when we were 20, we might be like, like mm-hmm. six in terms of what we've actually been exposed to. Yep. And I know dreaming is part of that processing that keeps us from essentially, essentially shutting down. So I'm wondering, like, I hope those people at least have some sort of release uh, valve. Yeah. Cause that must be crazy. I would not like it. Yeah. But, and the reason why I was thinking about that is because that leads into, um, like why we, I'm going to keep diverting this back to like religion and stuff, but, um, like concept of heaven, right? It's a struggle because a lot of people are like almost turned off by it. Like, I don't want to do anything forever. Some people are actually attracted to the bliss of, of nothing after life. Um, at least I think so. And I think, or at least that's what they say when they have to acknowledge that there is nothing outside the material world. Um, and I, I'm not totally, um, like it's not a foreign concept to me, I guess. I do th- trust that as a Christian, that there is some change in that structure that, you know, we, because we perceive time linearly, that's the only reason we feel that way if we could perceive things as a impossible array of time or whatever, then we would have a different opinion on that. Are you saying that that instance in inception would actually be like an antithesis to the existence of heaven? Cause you don't see it being viable because unless the construct of how we think changes in the afterlife, you can't imagine us having infinite minus X to go off of at any time and our existence in heaven. Is that what he's saying? Is that what you're saying? Kind of, I think, do you know what I'm saying? So it's like, what he's saying is like Leo and his wife or whatever, they remember up to 50 years. Right. And even that sentence, that seems like such a human feat mm-hmm. and a human burden. Yeah. Right. Can you imagine, having that ability in heaven, let's just say you have 10%, let's just say we all have 5% of what they had. doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things over infinity. You know what I'm saying? So like, what would that do to this and how would that need, how would this need to adapt? How would we think to accommodate that if that's possible? Is that what you're saying? Kind of? Yeah. I would say so. That makes sense. Yeah. And, um, I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I would say, bought in enough to Christianity that I do actually trust that there's something different about that. Um, but experiencing time as I do now, it's, it's something that I, you know, often go off road on and just think about, and it scares me sometimes. Um, yeah, I get those like existential, like heart murmurs, you know, in the shower, like on my own sometimes to be daydreaming. And I'll think about like slipping into something that's not this, you mm-hmm. know, to your point too. It freaks me out. I mean, it happens less and less because I stress more about silly things that like adults stress about. Yeah. More, you know, before I had more leisure, it was actually scarier before. Now, I'm, now I'm usually like enraptured by bills and like work and all this 
taxes. You know, taxes. just stuff, stuff when you're younger. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be like daydreaming and it'll turn to something like really existential and frightening. Yeah. And I'll like get that pain. I don't know if you all experienced this when like something really tragic happens and you get that like falling, like organ falling into stomach mm-hmm. feeling. You mm-hmm. get that like on your own. I don't get that shit yeah. anymore. I still have like fragments of that mindset, but it doesn't hit me the same way as it used to when I was mm-hmm. younger. But I get what you're saying. I mean, I, I used to freak out too. I remember like I was stuck on this one concept of death just being a situation where you are aware of your death, but you can't do anything. So the uh, you'd be buried alive. So I I uh, and I'm like I'm like I'm like this can't be our setup, right? I don't think I really ever go past death in my thinking. It's probably a safe place to be, right? Because you can control some percentage of the first part and zero of the second. Yeah. So you'd go with the some percentage. Yeah. I mean, I would too, right? But like at the same time, it's some percentage of X versus an unknown but less amount of percentage of a lot more. So that's why you should yes, think about it too. Theoretically a lot theoretically. more. Theoretically. Yeah. But even if like there's... It could also be a lot less. Yeah, I know. But even if there's a chance of it being a lot more, it being a lot more could for, be a lot, so lot, me, lot more. For me, I choose to to take the happy road and like I'll just pick something that sounds nice. And to me, reincarnation sounds nice. Yeah. It's the equivalent of like... But anything like other than that, like thinking about just literally just literally in this conversation making myself think about like what is like infinite existence it just hurts me i just don't like the thought of course yeah. because like it's nice to like actualize your mental power yeah. sometimes you can get like you can kind of masturbate to it it's like sorry y'all but sometimes you're like <laughs> oh i'm like i'm like exercising my ability to think this is really cool and that's great, but there's mm-hmm. other times... It's called philosophy. Yeah, exactly. There's other times where you do it and you're like, oh, like I really don't have like any efficacy at all in my life. So, yeah, no, that's <laughs> so it's like, that's relevant. Um, I guess what would help me figure out who I'm talking to in a different sense is like where... What is religion and the world and existence? Simple question. Oh, yeah. Simple question. (laughs) Um, Well, as far as like at a high level view of religion, I was brought up with two religions. Okay. Judaism and Sikhism. Primarily Judaism. Based on my experience and really just to satisfy my desire to be happy, I prefer to go with the the thought that there's probably some sort of greater context to this thing we call life, but it's so vast and unimaginable with my immortal conscience that it's not worth my time to worry about it. That whatever it is will be. And if I ever do experience it, I will experience it, but I'm not guaranteed that that will happen. And even if I did, I don't know if my present self could even possibly understand it. So I don't like to spend processor cycles in my brain on it because I feel like there's no way I can understand it. Yeah. So I may be incorrect on this, but I believe that might actually 
be common. Not, not saying that this is why, why you're like that. I think it's a natural thing to be like that. But I think Judaism actually kind of discourages converts um, because they recognize the burden that it puts on you. Um, now, Christians seem to have a different sort of um, I don't think so perspective. Much, I don't think they discourage it. It's more like it's they just tough. You. They warn you about yeah. it. They make sure that you take what you're doing seriously. Whereas most Christians are like, oh, great. Come on, come to church with us. And yeah. I mean, I, I somewhat prescribe to that. I mean, personally, I feel like a lot of Christianity is really more about a more of a community thing than it is really much of a spiritual or belief thing. I think the... It's an artifact. For, for a lot of people. Like, obviously, there are people who don't experience it that way. But I think for a lot of people, it's more of a, like, how can I be connected with my neighbors and, like, have something in common? That's and, all. But that's also, yes true but um and also i think it's if you will popular religion which i i feel like most religion that's actually like preached on most sundays is like popular religion because it's the type that makes you feel good about yourself it's the type that makes you feel good about the world feel like you're protected like guided like gives you some security yeah in your moral conscience so it's popular because it's popular because it makes people feel good it's easier to digest yeah and yeah. then the whole and then like on the one hand i mean yeah we can be derogatory towards institutionalized religion as pushing like social benefits but I, that's how you that's the, how you stay the only, the that's only, how you stay faithful though the to, only thing the, i'm i'm even worried about is manipulate using it to manipulate people uh -huh. of course the actual like i think for most people it's literally just trying to inject a positive force and community force into their life and there's definitely like a line so it's like because they don't preach like the really awful negative shit every week <laughs> And right. there's definitely a lot of awful negative shit in the Bible, the old one or the new one. Well, okay. And I'll be the first to admit right now, my knowledge of the Bible is incredibly insufficient. Mm -hmm. um, and mine's I've, even less than yours. Over all, the, all Abrahamic religions have like really crazy backgrounds. Actually, Judaism too. Actually, and, I think, and Islam. What, I think what in I was, particular, they take the awful stuff and they frame it in a way that's less awful. So... I guess, so I am currently reading, um, I've started this plan to go through the Bible and hopefully give or take a year. Um, but through like Genesis and stuff, it's nothing but just constant horrific things. Yeah. But it's not, it's not like it's framing it in that this is a good thing. Um, some things are a little bit hard to wrap your mind around, but typically the most atrocious things um, if not immediately, mm -hmm. a little bit down the road, show you why they're atrocious and they have the consequence that accompanies that. I'm going to say undeniably, the Bible is so fucking eloquent, yeah. by the way, with this. Now, I'm not saying Great word choice. I'm just I, it just <laughs> is that like with the sections he's talking about it. You talk about some pretty dark, dark shit. But like, you know, I'm going to bring this up kind of freaky to me and i'm not i'm agnostic if that's if that means anything um, i think i classify myself as largely agnostic yeah well, although culturally jewish because i like a lot of the traditions so yeah. right so what freaks me out is like and correct me if i'm wrong but a lot of these like atrocious and horrific things are usually 
Okay, you know what? So I think I personally believe, and I could be brainwashed, I personally believe that we live in a relatively civilized time for humanity. I think there's globally. I don't sure. think there's a counter argument to that. Okay. I also think that like historically, like human like the human narrative or like just coming to this point has been like full of that. Um, there's always been war and like famine, like disease, conflict. Like we live now in a like hyper privileged state where we're worried about like what if and like other things. And we have paranoia mm-hmm. about like, you know what I mean? Like it makes sense. If you live in the first world, most people can afford to philosophize is what you're saying. Exactly. But even so this stat gets said a lot. Um, the infant mortality rate in Africa is what it was in England in the fifties. Oh, there you go. Like that. suffering is all co- like all like global yeah, I mean, glo- suffering. Globally it has improved for sure. Yes. All but suffering across the board in is the down. First world. And like what I'm saying too is like, there's always been like immense amount of suffering through like the history of like humanity. I also think that like, we as a species accept and understand that like suffering is just a part of human nature and a lot of a lot of religion like faces that i'm also going to say this is going to sound really weird kind of a random tangent i also personally believe that from the little i've seen and read like older religions have always accepted that aspect and like worship and principles and all these things have like revolved around the acceptance of suffering and like buying out of it. So like sacrifice and all these things that like actually predate Abrahamic religions and are like considered pagan, evil, whatever Mm -hmm. they discuss that. Like, because if you think about like the world we live in now, this is not how it was before. Like, you know what I mean? Like embracing suffering, embracing suffering and bargaining out of it, figuring out how to survive. And I actually think that the world may have been conceptualized as like a realm of evil. Cause if you can imagine like the three of us, a lot of our friends and family, we don't see death. Mm-hmm. We don't see like, you know what I'm saying? Don't I can't up with it. Right. I can't imagine how it was before. Yeah. Like, can you imagine like if some, you know what I mean? Like, like, so yeah, no, I can't imagine why, it at all. Well, here's my theory is that that is why the suicide rate is increasing because before, and you could, I want to be careful how I say this, but I would, it is my perspective that it's, there's probably a lower, um, I'm pretty sure this is true that there's a lower incidents of suicide in the black community because culturally they um don't listen to heavy metal well sure (laughs) sure um i guess they don't philosophize as much no 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 no. it's it's more like their their (laughs) history at least in america is one of slavery of being of suffering and i think it's so high in the white community because it's like they expect to be better. Um, they expect to have a better 
time of life. And when they don't have that community that is uh, somewhat in that same scenario where they are, they see, they see all these people on social media doing great and they don't like their own life and stuff. Um, I think like the black community just, and this is totally just, Speculation. 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 And, hey, that's this. This is a tough topic to even have any concrete anything about. So we're all speculating. Yeah, but yeah. they they just have a better emotional relationship with hardship. They know they're more realistic just, about it. Not they, just the African American community, like any first generation, like pretty much anyone with immigrant parents. Immigrants, yeah. yeah. It, to your point, hundred percent. Like they're more they're more emotionally mature about suffering. Yes, yeah, like my parents. I grew up being reminded and this had, this is definitely double edged in a lot of ways, like house of cards construct at home was like, we were essentially like brought together oftentimes by guilt because like our parents, blah, 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 came here, had to do a lot. At the same time though, even though this was secondhand, I was also, I was always reminded of the fact that like things could be worse and that people elsewhere have it a lot less than I do. And like, being that it came directly from my family and they were still informed, it would inform me of how things were from, from their respective countries. Yeah. I would be grateful and yeah, it would be refreshing. And to your point, yeah, like old families here might be more removed of that. You know what I'm saying? Like like older families here might, I I guess this is all to say that your mental state does not, have a one-to-one ratio with your material state. Like of course you having, you having resources. Um, yeah. If once your your what is it? Maslow hierarchy of needs yeah. is met on the higher, the higher, um, levels, the more you have to question why you're not happy. Cause when you're lower, it's cause I don't have this mm-hmm. when you're higher and you have everything you have to question why you're still unhappy and that leads you into these existential crises and for some people killing themselves yeah even the process of obtaining those materials can be enough that can be enough of a purpose to actually actually, yeah it's purpose exactly can actually be enough to push away uh deeper problems and again like coming from immigrant families or you know if you're african-american and you know that your family comes from hardship you representing like a turning point for your family can be enough to push away any other hardships you may have mm-hmm. yeah because like other people are vicariously living through you yeah and there's yeah, so can, yeah i'll leave it at that stuff yeah, I like agree that with you. i, I agree mean this you. is like super open and it's like but yeah all right i think it's a good time to take a quick break sure uh, we'll be back in a second Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Spy Fi After Dark. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you're loving what we got, <laughs> share that shit. Bitch! <laughs> and don't forget to rate and or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Now back to the episode. Bitch! And we're back. So, so during the break, we were talking a little bit about Jordan Peterson and something further. You want to explain where you left off? Yeah, I would say that um, 
he has been and I, I'm not going to totally stand behind everything he says. I happen to agree with everything I've heard, but I don't know. Um, he has given a definition to my sort of religious leaning over the last, my whole life basically, but why I've never really bought in is because I couldn't make sense of it. He made sense of my entire world belief. Um, that's and a pretty big deal. Yeah. No, it's, it, I guess he, yeah, articula he articulated it. Yes. If someone is going to do something like that, it's going to be Jordan Peterson. He's like an amazing linguist. Like and the best. And he's super deliberate with every word. And he may be, he so, may be wrong, but I do not, I do not give any credence to anyone who says that he means ill will. Sure. So I'll give a, sort of counter opinion. Okay. Not entirely, but sort of in some ways. So I did listen to Peterson quite a bit for a small period of my life. Mm -hmm. so maybe six, nine, maybe 12 months. Um, he was very meaningful to me in his core message, which I always perceived as, um, taking on responsibility mm -hmm. is good for you up to a point, obviously. Yes. To whatever you can handle. Yes. And then a little bit past that. Yep. And that, uh, living your life with that responsibility gives you something to do. It gives you some purpose and it enhances your overall quality of life yep. basically. So I always agree with that. Um, and I applied that in my life and it's helped me a lot. Cool. I never really got too deep with, him in religion. Cause again, it just, it wasn't an interest for me anyway. Um, I generally agree with him when it came to like free speech stuff. Um, I always felt he was unfairly, not just, just uncharacter, um, inaccurately characterized. And that's and, everyone though. And, but particularly I think he's, I don't, I wouldn't call him, um, like a particularly eloquent linguist. I think he's actually very simple and straightforward. And perhaps that's what makes him so powerful. And that, that is what makes him so powerful. It gets messy. Maybe in the political debates or political discussion, but from when he... In his when subject he, matter, he's... Yeah, from subject... This is heavily dependent on subject matter. Like I've talked... Yeah. I've, I've read... Or, excuse me. I've listened to like how he uses the allegory of like... In Ross, probably more familiar with this. Like the hero... Mm -hmm. And he integrates that into like what you should extract from like theology yeah. and how that's like in fairy so, tales. So I will, I will say that I've listened to some of the more complex topics he's talked about, the more academic stuff. Mm -hmm. And he clearly has the capacity mm -hmm. to dive really deep and like really like spin, spin something, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't get too far into it and I don't, I personally don't think it's his main message for like the majority of people who listen to him. And so for the purposes of like how he gets characterized, I don't think it's that necessarily important compared to everything else, which is um, how he inspires people to, to take more responsibility in their life and get some meaning out of it. Could just be a, it could just be a, I agree with you. And uh, you know, this might be this subject matter may or may not be of the utmost importance to him. Subject matter. I'm talking about being theology or like 
purpose. I think, but but I think I do his th- favorite stuff is when he gets really deep. Right, but like, I do. I think, can just tell in his like body language. Yes, he likes. Yeah, I do think dissecting and unraveling, and these, taking down archetypical. I'd stories. Almost, this is, this I'd almost go so far as to say I think he's almost sick of saying the responsibility message at this point. It's an exercise like he feels for like him. He's he's said everything he has to say about it. However, that subject matter about responsibility, accountability, becoming being a better man, taking ownership of your life. This this kind of this kind of stuff definitely has given him such a reach. Yeah, that's I think what his platform is based on. Well, yeah. I agree with you with that. Like his platform has been, I think, whether, centered around whether that. he likes it or not. That's what his name is. I do on. think he likes it, but to your point, you can only spend that so many ways yeah. and for so long. Well, yeah. Well, my my, f- I think he appreciates it. I don't. I don't think he likes it. I think he appreciates it. My fear about him is that it's it's my fear with any sort of drawing drawing connect the dots between between things that make sense in life is that he's so good at making the connection that I have to wonder if uh you know the flying spaghetti monster analogies like if this happened and that and it was a flying spaghetti monster you would do the same thing and like I don't prescribe to that I think there's a lot of holes in that argument mm-hmm. but I I I do agree that the the uncritical person typically would fall prey to that and I am wondering if I'm the uncritical person in certain areas of my life so is he connecting these dots that you can do is it a parlor trick that you could do with anything or are these actually the meaningful ones and that comes from a lack of exposure to all of the ideas on life. So give, us, like, a, give us examples. Um, so uh, Sleeping Beauty is a really elegant one, I think. Um, so he talks about Sleeping Beauty and how there's the archetypical hero and the mother, the father, the, the helpful mother, the helpful father, and then the hurtful mother is Mother Nature and chaos. And so his message from that is that, well, Sleeping Beauty her parents are afraid of inviting the evil queen to her christening or whatever. And so what that does, she ends up, they end up locking her away because she curses her. They lock her away until she's 16. And then when she's 16, she, the first encounter with danger and she's out. And he says that you have to invite the evil queen to the birthday party. You have to expose children to a certain amount of life before releasing them or else they will die um mentally physically whatever um so that that's one of them and but okay that may not have been like the original intent but even if it's not the original intent it could even be i mean it it's still a it's still a phenomenal way to look at Sleeping Beauty, and it and yeah. it can resonate with with so many people in a variety of ways. But mm-hmm. I guess what is the reason that these things exist? That is, I think, his ultimate, right. not his. That's his driving motivation, is to figure out why stories are so important, and why the Bible is so structured in such a way that these stories are inherent to humans i think predictive programming is very helpful for humans so like i don't mean that's not derogatory i think um 
if Millen hypothetically wanted to teach me, I'm going to say Millen because I can't say my dad. I'm going to get to that in a second. So Millen's older than I am, let's just say. He's around my dad's age. So he wants to teach me something about a suffering in his life that he endured. And he doesn't want me to have to go through what he went through because he didn't have a Millen in his life. And he can't rely on my dad because I have a non-neutral relationship with my dad because my dad's my dad. So I don't believe everything that my dad says because he infringes on my identity as it is. And I have a rebellious, angsty opposition towards listening to everything my dad says because I want to be my own man, let's just say. So Millen just archives all of these things that happen between age 22 to 26. It's a love story gone bad and all these things that he went through with this woman and he turns it into an allegory and he shares it with me because this allegory is, or this anecdote, excuse me, is something specific and nuanced to Millen's life, but he can extract it and make it so general. Like the take home learnings that he had are so applicable to so many people because He's a male being of the human species, and he knows that a lot of us males go through something similar, right? He wants me to listen to his story, feel his story, so that maybe I don't have to experience it in my seemingly nuanced way when the generalizations and take-homes I'm going to have for myself are so similar to the ones he had for himself. And he's like, you know what? Why not one person suffer this versus two? I think that's why stories, that's one aspect, in my opinion, of why stories are great. So stories teach. Stories teach. Because predictive, this is what I mean by predictive programming. Like, it's great when you give a story to someone that thematically is different enough from the recipient's lifestyle so that they don't start questioning the authenticity and intent of the story to infringe on their on their identity and, and their autonomy. Meaning, like, if I give a story to Millen and I made it, like, so awkwardly centered around his current life he'd be like what like get away from me right like you're trying to manipulate me Mm -hmm. but if you can give something to him and actually and this is why i love the movie inception if you can give the idea to him in a generic sense in a generic sense and actually guide him to a point where he thinks he's coming up with his own new reasonings of life even though those new reasonings were actually programmed because those reasonings were general and of your intent then you've delivered a message and you've helped him not have to deal with x or can at least consider not having to do with it so storytelling is very powerful i mean i'd go so far as to say that storytelling and by extension language are the reasons human beings have evolved to yes. levels they have that's what i'm saying we all don't have to go through it's, the repeated x it's y and z distilled experience it's like we it's dream. literally it's literally take the concept of machine learning it's just that done over thousands of years among tons mm-hmm. of people. Well, Collect- we can, in like a network. Think yes. about think about we, how people think about how people think now. Think about how our youth thinks now. We mm-hmm. have so much information, so much media to digest. Right. Think well, about how. And looking back, we can say, "Oh, Newton was an idiot. He got all this wrong," and that's clearly not the case. He's intellectually superior to probably most of the population today. It's polarizing. We but, can say he got a lot of things wrong, but, but then those those that really understand like what you're saying are like dumbfounded by how much he stacked 
for himself. Well, humans learned how to compile knowledge and they don't have to learn from square one every single time. They don't have to create their own game. It's taking uh, 20 years of experience and distilling it into two hours. Yes. Yeah. Packets. Experiences. So all of a sudden your life can be composed of tens of thousands of years of experience over your hundred Storytelling, music, language. Yeah. I mean, a combination of these things not only give you, not only give you like enough information to visualize an experience that will resonate with you, but these three things can also invoke enough emotion from your recipients so that it's almost like you experienced the message. So like humans, you know, we don't recall everything like we talked about, right? We don't recall everything we see, read, um, and feel, but we tend to hold on to things that had, that are associated with big emotional spikes and we morph them to sometimes make more sense or be more manageable. Right. And um, storytelling with high emotional value tends to deliver messages so yes. well. You know, I always had that theory. I think I told you about this. I don't think I told Ross about this. It was a weird theory I had in college that like your like visuospatial plane, essentially like your ability to like visualize things in your head or you call that like part of your conscious was literally designed just for us to attempt to re-experience things more than once so that they would stick. For what purpose? So evolutionary, evolutionary, evolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. So like the idea is our inability to have total recall. So we don't have total recall, but we, most of us don't, but a lot of us attempt to integrate a combination of what we've seen, um, and like damaged fragments of what we've seen and then like fabricated, like patching of that and like emotional reinforcement, we actually end up creating like rationale to do certain things over other things. And like, it helps derive filters. That's why I think I guess like, my, my question was for what evolutionary purpose? Oh, can we do this? So like, you know how when we were younger, we look at like, we looked at adults and we're like, oh my God, like, why do like adults let themselves go? Why are adults so stuck in their ways? Why are adults so uh, seemingly like know-it-alls? Why do they think they know everything? They just don't understand. So I think like a lot of those behavior patterns are evolutionary in a sense that, to your point, you brought up that we develop these filters. I think that the human... um the human organism, if you will, doesn't need to live as long as it can. Um, we just need to live long enough to contribute to sustainability for whichever population and bear offspring. You need um, to live 30 years. Right. I believe this because of how how heavily impacted fertility is at such a seemingly young, young state of 75 to 80 years. So there's that. Okay. Well, for men. Women too. Menopause. Sorry, I misinterpreted what you're saying. Oh, so so sorry. So when it comes to fertility, it's better for both men. And we're talking pharmacology out. Okay, pharmacology out. It's it's very very critical for men and women to have 
offspring at a younger age. I don't mean okay, like a super young age. I mean a younger age. You said 70 age. something. What, what, what was I'm that saying age? that if the average lifespan now is between, let's just say 65 to 85, we'll say 75. I'm saying it's, it's interesting how 18 to 30 is so far from that. To your point i'm saying gotcha. you know what I'm saying? i understand so, okay i understand so we've got that and like as you become an adult you start developing these filters well i think these filters are essentially reconciliations of patterns that have kept you living because your body doesn't act i mean yes we have a conscious i'm and i'm putting that around quotations but i really think that conscious is just an a series of actualizations and manifestations of what you experience as at a core help you create filters. Hey, I got through a, the, you know, this many days, I'm going to develop patterns to repeat my ability to live this way to survive. That's why I think adults are stuck in their ways because what they have done has kept them alive. That's literally where I came to that conclusion. I noticed that as I'm getting older, I'm becoming more stuck in my ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's harder for me. And I have like all of these weird walls and like thermostat like mechanisms in me that keep me from like getting out of my habits that I thought I didn't have when I was younger. So I'm going on a tangent anyway. This is just my, I just, I just thought that this was, this is what I thought when I was in college. Like, Oh, like this might be like, you know, how things came to be Mm -hmm. in our behavior. But okay. I think that's a good point for our second and final break. And we'll come back and wrap this up. Wow, you've come really far in this episode. Considering how long you've been listening, you should probably consider subscribing and maybe even leaving us a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. I know, I know. Everyone asks every episode, but I mean, come on. You've been listening to it for an hour. It's the least you could do, really. Now back to the episode. Okay, and we're back for our final segment, another 15, 20 minutes or so. I figured we'd just do a little bit of grab bag um, things that were of interest to Rost and us. Um, I'll just start with a, a prompt, if you will. Um, who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? Perfect. So I'm convinced that the traditional concept of that is just wrong. Like most people would think about this. Christians go to heaven. Everyone else, without a doubt, goes to hell. And I think it may be a probability game like that. That might be how it works out a lot of the time. But I think as soon as you hop on to I'm a Christian, there's a verse in the Bible that it's like uh, those who um, were blind are fortunate. And those who can see are the ones that are essentially in trouble. Um, cause I think as soon as you know what the right path is and you don't take it, that is what sin actually is. Ignorance can be, can be written off. Um, that's inherently, a, that's inherently a problem I have, but so, so God is okay with ignorance as long as you don't do a new age of damage. Basically. Um, I think even damage negligence is what he's not okay with. Negligence to the negligence yes. to the right right path. So one of the one of the commandments is do not take the Lord's name in vain. A lot of people take that as don't say uh, GD right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's a I think an elementary way of looking at that because you could say any word curse word right now that you want and it's evident. 
that you don't die. That has the harshest associated punishment with it right after that commandment. And it's because don't take the Lord's name in vain means do not use God as a prompt to better yourself selfishly. Mm -hmm. And I think I like that definition a lot more. I think it also just makes more sense. It makes a lot more sense. Yes. Yeah. From a significant standpoint. Yes. Yeah. Don't be vain with the Lord's name. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I might've actually, more I think, definition. I think it's, it's very consistent with the overall principles. Of, I agree. Of yeah. The religion. Yeah. So I guess what I'm sure about is I'm, I'm not sure. I, no one can know for sure. Cause we don't know, of um, course. you know, assuming God exists, we don't know how he operates totally, mm-hmm. but I would be more, um, willing to bet that priests who have used their position to abuse people, um, are probably more likely in hell guaranteed um, than someone who has never heard of God and tended to live a good life. And so my those and, mega pastors are fucked. No. And my problem is not necessarily, but possibly okay. my, my problem is the fact that, um, so I've, I've questioned those that are, I've questioned like religious peers and friends in the past about that. Because my understanding is that for the individuals who don't get that exposure on, um, to uh, Jesus Christ um, during their time on this earth, essentially they're they're going to have the opportunity to um, be saved. Mm-hmm. Okay, but my problem is. Why would you ever denounce being saved if you never ex? So let me put it this way: Who in their right mind would denounce being saved after dying, versus the opportunity cost of not doing what you want to do instinctively? which could be a life full of sin um, and then being rewarded with a probability game. Do you understand? So what I'm saying is like, if you're exposed to Jesus Christ and in, Christ- a, in a deep way, not just some guy talking to you. Hey, yeah, this sorry, is, not this the is, name, but like, as in, you know, you understand Christ the it. Lord. Yeah. Uh, his life, his message, what it means to follow, you know, that path, yes. what it means to be a Christian. Um, and you think to yourself, you know, I don't have the faculties to follow this or I don't, I just don't want to. It's too much of a price for, you know, cause no one, not no one. I think most people that sin justify the fact that they sin with the fact that faith is faith. Okay. So, Hey, I'm still going to have premarital sex or party all the time and do drugs because I don't want to give these things up and miss out on a gamble. Right. My problem with that is if that same person was never exposed to the deep like principles of Christianity and that person lives their life dies and then 
has an opportunity to essentially um, accept, you know, Christ as a savior, that person has no opportunity cost. So are you saying how can someone live a sinful life and then at the last second have the opportunity to be redeemed? And not just that, like, like not just have the, an opportunity to be redeemed, but like if you when weren't aware of all the principles yes, in the first place, right. how could you be judged on the same category? Well, because, because not just that when you're dead, what are you giving up? So, okay, real quick, heaven is often, and this may be the case. Um, I mean, to the listener, of course, I believe in heaven. It may function as a reward for living a good life. But I think the difference between heaven and hell and who goes there is a compatibility issue. We talked a little bit about eternity. Um, I don't remember if that was on or off um, recording. I think that was off. Well, in heaven... It's, oh, wait, no, I think that was It's on. often described as you just spend eternity like in joy and companionship with God. And maybe, I don't know how much of this is dr- dramatized by Catholicism over the years or whatever, mm-hmm. but you're, you're with the people in heaven maybe, and you're, you're just joyful. And that to a human mind seems bad. Um, but there's some people that fundamentally are not compatible with that because for instance, um, let's take Hitler or whatever. Um, Hitler has the opportunity to go to heaven. I think everyone does, but what are the odds that someone who lived the way Mm -hmm. that Hitler did would choose heaven given the cost? If, if it came down to the scene where God is giving you like, Hey, this is me. Everything you heard about me is true. Uh, don't worry about the other stuff. This is, this is what's happening right now. Do you want to go with me or do you want to just not go with me? If you want to go with me, you just have to admit that you were wrong. What you're, what you're implying is that um, Hitler was cautious enough of his life. Yes. So he, would, so he, he wouldn't even accept my, the opportunity. Yes. My only problem with the framing is that, to Alex's point, once you're already dead, it doesn't matter if you say what you did was wrong anymore because there's no consequence to it. And I'm telling uh, you. Hell would be the consequence, assuming no, that this all exists. But I mean, if if Hitler had the opportunity to choose there, there's no reason for him not to choose heaven. Um, because it's not a choice. It's not a choice of, will this be a better outcome for me now? It's, am I compatible with the criteria to go to heaven? It requires being humble. It requires being, unselfish so but that means the choice has to be made for you it is by made, your actions and you your make the choice sometime during your life even if you don't believe you, in god so you don't get another option to make the choice you don't get to do it again when you get to you, heaven no yeah, once you're dead you don't get another chance okay good yeah. that's all i need to clear up because okay because that part was what i was tripping over yeah um, um so i would uh kind of just just to add a little bit of flavor yeah my personal view of the afterlife or heaven is it's sort of like a train station for reincarnation again. Cause I like the concept of reincarnation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the concept that life is the gift and you want to live like you want to be living. And so if you die, 
you get to the afterlife and now you kind of have to wait it out and you can observe life. You know, you can see what's going on, stay connected a little bit. You obviously can't interact with it, but you can see it from a, from a distance. And then eventually you get an opportunity to go back and do it again. So either as another human or as another creature or, you know, my only thoughts there that implies a, a fixed amount of life force, right? Mm -hmm. That's my issue with it. Um, and there, so there's finite life force. Like if something's reincarnated, it came from something living. More souls could be created over time. How? I don't know. Okay. 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 Um, and there's another thought I had, but I don't remember. Um, I, it comes down to the soul. Like I, I actually do believe in a soul. Okay. Like a concept of a soul. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like, I feel like our biology is too, again, it's too, uh, too absurd to exist without some sort of a connective tissue of some kind that we don't understand. So I remember what I was going to say. Okay. We just talked about the cloning thing. Mm-hmm. That and was off air, by the way. Yes, off air. And just briefly, if you clone yourself, you're no longer the same as that clone. Yeah. Reincarnation, almost by definition, cannot be you. Not just because you don't remember it, if that is the case, mm-hmm. but because your perspective, your position, the only part of you that would be there is the life force, but yes. there's nothing unique Right. About I, that. I, I would go so far as to say some qualities or characteristics are carried with the soul. But it's 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 all it's not specific. Well, if I were to lend credence to that, humans tend to be similar to each other. So you not saying that obviously I prescribe to a different belief, but mm-hmm. humans no one goes through a problem by themselves. People have the same problems. Okay. People have the same characteristics. There's nine or five big personality types. People are inherently similar to other people. Yeah. So I'll so, say that to that. So I think what I'm getting at is it's not, I don't think souls are like inherently super unique from each other. They're all very similar. They all carry the, a lot of the same core mechanics, a lot of the same core like things. There's just like a few little threads that add just a little bit of flavor and then you get born into whatever you're born into, whether you're like a, a an, an animal, a human, a plant, whatever it is. And your experiences then further, like further go on through that lifetime and then to the afterlife and then you get reset. I'd be curious to explore, not right now cause it's a long conversation, but yeah. I'd be curious to explore how that impacts human nature. Having that thought. Okay. Just a note. Okay. Um, Alex, anything? Yeah, a couple of things. So that seems very unfair. How so? Because there would definitely be better and or worse experiences. Yeah, experiences based on archetype vessels that one would either pick or be given depending on where they stand in line. I'm thinking of it as more random. That's even worse. That implies no... It also implies that like... No causality and righteousness of consequences. But I mean, I could could also further, further add that 
depending on the life you live, affects, uh, not, not affects the life you're going to live, but more so like maybe it affects the timing. Like if you're, if you're an animal, the time between you getting to afterlife and being reincarnated is shorter than if you're a human. I just thought of something. So you're too, saying by, by like, like arbitrarily, I could literally be a cow born into a slaughterhouse multiple times. It's just very unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. But I was like my, President Carson or something. Or so, Carter, excuse me. President, <laughs> President Carter. And then like after that term or whatever, is he dead? Uh, I don't no, think so, Carter's yeah. still alive. Damn it. Okay, after he dies, <laughs> uh-huh. he gets born <laughs> into a cow. I mean, you could you could further see. I haven't thought too much about this. I'm, I'm like, just putting my own theory into practice out as we go. I just thought of what I was just how we were talking about how language might influence culture. Religion obviously influences culture, and I may be overgeneralizing here, but I know that the Hindu caste system perpetuates a justification for treating people below you mm-hmm. with. Um, evil essentially like you and not from their perspective but you can treat things lower than you um worse because that means that they were a bad person in a past life yeah providence essentially and if it's random then there's i think you lose a sense of causality because what's the point well it could also be a good person random but what's the point of being a good person if you end up in that cow slaughterhouse loop i guess see the only the only thing that the only thing that i really want to avoid is i want to avoid a situation where like only a small subset of souls get to relive the best of life you, yeah you don't like a reward system. like i want to like recycle like i want everyone to be able to have a chance you know yeah ch- a chance at uh perpetual pain so suffering this and might this might be somewhat <laughs> that's, a, that's the that's also that's also like an imperative i on guess this i earth. mean that's that's the other that's the other flip side to it so leaning towards a harsh interpretation of christian doctrine um saying that it's a narrow path to get to heaven um it could be the case that for christians even like myself um, I am not a good enough, I I've made that decision consciously, the wrong decision consciously enough that I do not make it to heaven. I don't think that's the case because the forgiveness message is there's justification, there's justice, and then there's forgiveness and, and mercy. Mm-hmm. And the point, at least in the God that is represented today popularly and i think probably more accurately than it was in the past when they needed to enforce rules through fear um is that forgiveness god's forgiveness is greater than your sin um however if that's not the case and i'm i'm giving myself too easy of a time and there's there's 10% of people in heaven and 90% of people in hell. If it was because those 90% were actually bad people and those 10% were actually good people, would that be just? I 
define good and bad? Over the course of a series of decisions, they're going to choose themselves every time. As opposed to being somewhat mixed. And we, we discussed that there's no such thing as true altruism, but there's immediate. Again, that, I think that was off air. Shoot. Just yeah. to be and clear. I, and, I, and I stand behind that. Um, yeah. But I also feel like. But that's a whole topic for another time. But I also, time. also feel like the test, the integrity test. I think humans are more complex so, okay, than this. So but, I, I also, but I do think that you're, the integrity test, essentially the, the litmus test for your soul is heavily determined by the arbitrary amalgamation of experiences you have in life. What I mean is some people's lives not only are more or less difficult than others, some people's lives are more or less demanding of moral real estate than others. Mm -hmm. I feel like that comes from circumstances and also comes from essentially the the mind. So let's reduce it down to every single 7 billion people uh, person goes through the same exact scenario. And it's a serious scenario. It's whether or not to uh, kill someone for a guarantee that your next week is going to be pretty pleasant. Like you press the button, right? The, the whole, if you press this button, someone will die, but you get a million dollars. You don't know the person. Let's say that that was an objectively awful thing to do. I think it probably is people who press the button go to hell. People who don't press the button go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Even if it was a 90% failure rate and the majority of people fail, is that just? Okay. So the one, I, I think this is tangential to what you're saying. Cause the one thing I will say is that I find interesting is I think a lot of religious code in terms of like how you're supposed to act, like what is good, what is just seems to me to be invariably tied to basically the survival and advancement of the species. Mm -hmm. Like there's a very inherent communal effect. Like we were talking about it's not like, universal truths are inherently instinctive. It's it's not like murder is, Some are. is like, Some are. it's not like murder is inherently bad in a, in a, um, in a like no without context it's bad because it hurts the species as a whole it because you take you. away potential to the species as a whole and takes away the person's potential like for them so if that makes sense like it's so not as it's not that conceptually it's like it's basically conceptually to us because it's so deeply instilled in our dna and the but, world we live in today in my opinion employs more conceptual tests to more people than before. Yeah. Can I ask a question of you too? Sure. Sure. So if, if a Christian God existed, how would the world be different? I don't think the world would be any different. The world wouldn't be any different. Okay. Like if you present, were God present or no, or like, like just he, he, it, this, the Christian like God. It, well, you, you mean like existed, like came down? No, just exist. Like, okay. So he you, exists, but no one like really knows. So you are coming, this, this question might work better for a pure materialist who doesn't believe in a higher power, but I'm just testing it out. You believe in a higher power. If a explicitly Christian God did everything that Christians thought he did, how would the world be different? 
I'll tell you this though too. So I don't feel like the world would necessarily be different because people still wouldn't know that he exists. Okay. One, that's useful. That's useful. I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a weird tangent. So keep that in mind. But also, one, if your question was if the, if they know he exists, that's a different scenario. One issue with God existing is the value that we have in those inherent slash intuitive whatever universal truths and how they stay relevant to us. Let me explain. So. If I kill Melon, I am inducing suffering, not for him, but for his associates, family, friends. I'm stripping him of the chance to live a longer and potentially better life and to share all of those successes and moments and experience with other people. It's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, if a Christian God existed, I'm going to just hear me out it would actually trivialize the induced apprehension I would have to killing him. If I were to look at it at a higher level, you're sending him to heaven. Yeah. There's that. Hold on. So hear me out. Where was I getting that with this? Also, so there's that. And then I also don't have any empathy for God. Um, I'm not saying I do. I'm just saying like, like just based off of like the concept of God, there shouldn't really be in. And I know that like the Bible from what I've seen oftentimes depicts God's um, like mercy and forgiveness as like a huge burden. Right. Um, or like in a huge offering, but interestingly enough, like essentially God in the Christian sense is all powerful. Um, and so there is no reason for me to have empathy towards God just because of the state that God is in. Um, so when I'm living my life, um, the only real stimulus I can rationalize towards being like a good person, knowing that God exists, is doing what I need to do to not miss out on going to heaven. Okay. Or being, or getting fortunate enough to have a seemingly authentic loving relationship with God so that I can just live my life intuitively and top deck all of my actions. So, and essentially feed that relationship. It's kind of like, so your, your goal, you're saying all this in the means of if I just wanted to go to heaven, you could do that. If that no, was your only goal? No, I know you can't. I'm saying that God existing doesn't change anything for me. Um, I need, I actually need to establish how you act or how you, yeah, how I act. Cause okay. everything actually nothing, nothing matters. What needs to change is that like um, ability to 
love and have a connection with God. Okay, so otherwise, I'm. Do you know what I'm saying? I, kind of. So you're saying that what needs to ch- if God exists, what needs to change is dependent on inherent Man. traits. Yeah, that so, you may not have. Yeah, like power the faculties, over. because it's like or, you know, actually, if God, because hypothetically, if I knew God existed. I'm not, I don't just mean myself. One could e- actually be even more removed from him. Okay, when you're like an impending death, you might start like revisiting this and like having doubts about like how you lived your life and maybe you want to start doing whatever it takes to develop or push the development of a relationship with God because of urgency. But like I could also see the argument that like, let's just say you knew that God existed you would question the innumerable suffering around you. God exists. And wondering why that happens. If God exists and he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere, how is there suffering? How is not, it? How is, and all good. It's not all even, good. Yeah, and not even how, because it happens. He makes it happen. It's why, and it's... I know I'm not supposed to know because I'm me, but... It's not something you can just pretend doesn't exist. It's tough. You have to subscribe to it. You have to say, you know what? That's what faith is about. Faith is, you know, this hasn't been, faith is essentially buying something that isn't obvious. So it's like if there's a car that like meets all of your needs on paper, Mm -hmm. right? The salesman doesn't have, I'm not saying you have to sell Christianity, but hear me out. It's, in your price range, it has everything you want. You have this like preconceived checklist and it hits every check mark mm-hmm. and it's affordable and they're working with you to make the perfect payment plan. It comes in any customizable package you want. Mm-hmm. There's no selling, right? But when it comes to like a situation where a lot of gaps need to be filled that's where like that's where action needs to needs to take place um and i think that's you know that's a derivation of faith so it's like look like i know that like the world is imperfect i know that like all these things have happened i know that like i'm designed essentially to lead myself or part of me is designed inherently to lead myself to damnation like why, why am I living a life that's essentially designed? I'm living a life of suffering to, to potentially get out of suffering and fall into eternal suffering. That's like part, that's like the human imperative. It's like I have a life full of like problems. One of the methods of getting out of problems short term will lead me to eternal sets of problems. Right. Like, why was that designed in such a way? Essentially, it's like because of so I this is a really good distinction. I think you're making Um, if that short term way out of suffering uh, perhaps caused suffering for other people. Mm. And you knew that. I think that is and it. I mean, frequency and amount matter here. But if it was a if you did that often and it had real negative impact and you knew that, I think an appropriate consequence to that might be 
you have to su- suffer the same suffer suffering. the same amount and maybe yeah. more. Um, and, and to it, your point, like I don't know if heaven and hell are based on a justice system. It's not. I don't think. Okay, so C.S. I just read this. C.S. Lewis, uh, the Great Divorce, amazing Christian. It's it's essentially a bus goes from hell to heaven. And essentially goes from conversation to conversation full of people who are at the slopes of heaven being offered to go to heaven. And they all have a specific reason to go back on the bus except one person. Um, And it was oddly enough, the guy who struggled with sexual sin, um, they make the distinction that some sin, you know, is bad and you do it anyway. Some sin though you can create a worldview out of and you will die for that and you will go to hell for that. So like um, one of which is the, the overprotective mother, which Peterson talks about sometimes is I went to hell because I care so much about my son and I need his love so much that I essentially did things that resulted in him going away from me. And now I am incomplete and that's not inherently morally bad, but it does not align with what makes you do good in the world. Living for the affection of someone else does not prompt you to do a net benefit in the world. And in this d- depiction of sin, it's it's not fiery in hell. It's just essentially an endless repeating. It's like, a, you know, um, the second Elder Scrolls game, how it's randomly generated and just create this huge map. It's one of the biggest video game maps of all time, but it's it's repeated. It's essentially mm-hmm. what hell is in that game, it, in that it's, it's continuously it's expanding city that is empty. And the, the closer they get to the center of the city, the more, the more chaotic it is. So people are constantly expanding out into this nothingness. Um, so it's not a wrathful mm-hmm. hell, but it's a it's a hell. Yeah, it sounds terrifying. It sounds is worse. It sounds um, worse. But Actually, people, yes, it but does. all these characters choose to go back to that rather than give up the thing that led them there. Okay. All right. I think that's a good place to to wrap this one. It's a terrifying place to wrap this up. Yeah. Well, yeah. Real quick. Real quick. Okay. If you want, give us one more hot take. Okay. One hot take. Um, We'll keep it on the heaven and hell thing. Well, it's funny you were talking about this because I was going to say like, I was just going to interject. This as a final question, but mm-hmm. we kept talking on the topic. Yeah. I was going to say like, are there any sins you cannot recover from? Just, just like the, not I just want your instinctual answer. Not from forgive. You can't, you can't be beyond forgiveness for anything, but your heart can not recover from it to where you you opt yourself out yeah Yeah. okay but it's a it's a decision it's not a it's not like you if you ever want to be forgiven you will be forgiven but there's i think it's more obvious the more you think about it there's some things that people don't want to be forgiven for so as you well as a quick follow-up say you join that camp of i want to be forgiven but mm -hmm. your life is cut short before you can like realize it Mm mm-hmm what happens? So I think, and this is just me rationalizing 
the set of beliefs, but I think one of the most important parts of the Bible is the crucifixion, specifically the depiction of Jesus next to the two thieves. Um, these are the last moments of their lives. One of them accepts that Jesus is thief. And then the evil thief, I don't know. He had a name. One of them laughs at the one for accepting Jesus. The one that accepts Jesus, Jesus says, you're going to heaven with me. Uh And so while they're still living, I think it represents that in the final moments. So in the final moments of their life, they had the opportunity. So basically God can judge the authenticity of your decision and make a decision based on the authenticity as opposed to seeing the output. This goes back into time. You're only dead and can't make a decision because time doesn't allow you to. But God created the space, the material, and time of the universe. And so he doesn't obey those laws. So he could see your future and see how it plays out and be like, okay, he worked out. He could have done that. He could have done that, yes. Okay. I I like that. I mean, it sounds consistent. It would also imply that people were designed to go to hell. I think human nature. From God's point of view. Designed to go to hell? If he can if he can see the timeline. If he's beyond time, if he controls time, then some of the people that were created through his some image. Some of the people are, yeah. He knows. That's one of my problems with with the, uh, the hell heaven concept is that it feels like some people end up being like predestined into it. Yeah, so the whole thing is like God can't be omniscient. Yeah. To, to be consistently good. Not even just consistently good because you could rationalize that God maybe needs to keep a quota, but like you don't know, right? But like he to be consistently providing um, free will. Okay, yeah. So the he can't free, pro- he can't provide yeah. free will and so be, and be omniscient on a high level. I don't have a problem with him knowing the outcome and not controlling it. I don't think it's required. I think That's just terrifying. because. Well, well, it makes sense to me. That's I terrifying, think, I think just because you know, if I telegraph to you that I'm going to touch my leg and I'm just going to do this, you knowing this has no bearing on whether or not I do it. And that's oversimplifying this, I know. But I think that... But, you, but go ahead. what it also means is that... He's okay with the I, cost I, so of I creation. Avoid, I want to avoid dipping into a free will conversation yeah, because yeah, we do need to wrap this, but... Okay. That's fine. I think all the questions that you guys brought up are, um, I think it would be extremely important though. I think it would be fun to do a, like, I don't have a better term than like a hot takes episode where we just like pose questions. We should pose questions and eat spicy wings. Oh, Oh, that'd be a good video. There's a video about the West wing and all they do is watch the West wing and eat chicken wings. It's it's a college humor video. Oh, sweet. Okay. All right. Well, that is our episode for today. It's a little different theme than usual, but uh, it's a good time. Thank you, Ross. Yeah. Thank you, yeah, guys. Thanks, Ross. And uh, we'll see y'all in two weeks. See ya. Thank you for listening to that episode of Spy Fi After Dark. I know it's a little different subject material than usual, but I mean, I enjoyed it. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. It was uh, refreshing. We normally go... Um, the safer route just for the general audience and this was a little a little more risque yeah. we still did a little pop culture into dense topic transition right. which I think was a good way to do it yeah. and I will say I think I got more comfortable with the conversation as it went as on as it progressed towards the end makes sense yeah. yeah which is 
not surprising considering I don't have that kind of conversation very often. I'd, I'd hope the same for the audience. Yeah. As well. So hopefully they can live vicariously through my experience here. And uh, for all of you out there, um, for whatever platform you're using, I mean, please just share your interest through comments. If there's any other topics you'd want us to discuss and we can bring guests to explore those accordingly. So yeah, you can shoot us an email at spyfyofficial at gmail.com or you can tweet me at Melon Tweets or you can find me on Instagram at Melon Grams. Thanks for supporting us. Yeah. Thanks for listening once again and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye-bye.